0: Hello, and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen The Fablemans. Yes. Which is Steven Spielberg's long-awaited, semi-autobiographical uh, film about a young Jewish boy growing up in the 1950s who aspires to be a filmmaker. Um, semi-autobiographical He's maybe putting it lightly. It seems very, e- <laughs> <unbibractable>. <laughs> extremely, um, extremely deeply inspired by Spielberg and his family. And not only is it clear, kind of anyway, but before the credits roll at the start, before the film begins, Spielberg pops up on screen, thanking us for visiting the cinema to see this film that he says is a love letter to his parents and a love letter to cinema. He thanks us for visiting the cinema.
1: That creeped me out, because I took it as a sure sign that cinema is dead. If you have, you know, the most successful film director of our time thanking people for merely showing up, mm. you know, at a cinema, then I think it's doomsday.
0: Yeah, I think it's partly they're showing up for a certain kind of film as well. I think people are becoming, or, or or the industry maybe, is kind of having to get used to the idea that the prestige film in particular is kind of dead. Mm. Um, this is a two and a half hour autobiographical film about a family that for for a while kind of has very little drama in its life. You know, early on I'm thinking, I I'm not very involved in this because this family is fine, right? It's late, obviously, the, the drama
1: kind of develops. Um, but... Well, I just think these are changing expectations. I mean, I think 10 years ago, this would have been a 100 million grosser for sure. And, you know, there would have been no problem getting the audience out for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that Spielberg was kind of famous for, really. Like, you know, he got people out for the colour purple.
0: Well, I think more than 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I think it was already not the biggest kind of movie going.
1: When did DVD really crash? When did kind of video on demand really take over? Five or six or seven years ago, maybe. Okay, well, that is the moment of transition. Before that, you would have got an audience for this type of film from Spielberg. Maybe not from anyone else, but definitely from Spielberg. Mm. You know, because also, he is the exception to the rule. I mean, he is somebody who's had, like, very, very few flops in his career, really. Mm.
0: Well, this Uh, one is one, financially speaking. It costs
1: some $40 million,
0: and I think it's only just about made that back.
1: Well, Although but, it
0: has also been nominated for seven Academy Awards and a whole host of other awards.
1: And, you know, there's there's all the other markets to follow, so uh, I'm sure it'll, it'll make money. But, yeah, the market for this type of film, theatrically, for sure, is definitely not what it was, and it's a pity, because I thought it was marvellous, actually. You know, I'm not Spielberg's biggest fan. I mean, I think he's a marvellous technical director, But I think the best, his best films for me are the ones that don't make any demands on a complex understanding of people and life. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. From the director, right? Uh, yeah. Jaws, E.T. Yeah. Wonderful. I think all the most recent films that we've seen, I think they're kind of technically astonishing. And then they always leave me a bit cold or I find them banal. Yeah, I mean, I thought Bridge of Spies was kind of banal to have that conception of, you know, American politics in the world. I thought it was almost stupid. Yeah, even though some of the scenes were just technically dazzling. Mm. Um, likewise... West Side
0: Story, that was his last, in fact.
1: I know, but actually, I think my appreciation of West Side Story has diminished with time. Not that I didn't think it marvellous when I saw it, right? And I did think it dazzling. But I, I find it interesting that in my mind, the version of West Side Story that remains is the Natalie Wood version. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I don't yeah. think that's enormously surprising. Being, I mean, it is a classic, but it's also a film you grew up with and have loved well, for years. That's this true. This only had a year to get under your skin.
1: That's it's- true, and that might change with time. But I just think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's not that there's competing. It's not. I mean, other films that are remade, I think I like this scene better in this one, that scene better in that one, Mm. right? But, you know, that is a question for me. Kind of, why isn't it, why isn't it more vivid in my memory? Whereas the original one kind of really is. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, that's almost besides the point. I, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that I think, bar a few things, I think this is an almost perfect film. Really? Yes. Wow. I think that highly of it. I wasn't bored through it at all. I loved all of the first scenes, you know, the showing of uh, of the family and the introduction of the camera and how this young boy falls in love with cinema and how the mother encourages him. I thought that was all kind of marvellous, really, and fun. Yeah, and mm. funny and kind of, you know, with with an awe for the wonder yeah, and magic of the films, really. Also, kind of interestingly, I thought it was interesting, for example, that they use the um, the c b the Mill, the greatest show on earth as yeah that moment where he falls in love with cinema mm. because in many ways that's the kind of cinema that Spielberg's attractors accuse him of, yeah, mm. it's spectacle, it's kind of yeah. crashes and the equivalent of aliens, I suppose circus people. The <laughs> Mill is also kind of bombastic and melodramatic and superficial, I think about. About people, but, but is that I, something
0: I, you think of Spielberg, or is that a difference you see between DeMille and Spielberg?
1: No, no, I think that is something that I also think of of Spielberg. I think he's a marvelous technical director. He's fantastic with spectacle and so on. I think, for me, his weakness is a, a too superficial understanding of people and the world. And the difference in this film is. He knows these people intimately. But also, to be fair, he doesn't plumb depths, right? Like, he wants a particular view of his parents. You know, the film oozes with love and understanding, yeah, Mm. both of his father and his mother, and it's lovely to see. I did think at the beginning, you know, because the film begins in 1952, that, yeah, that's the moment that we're introduced, Mm. you know, and the family's Jewishness is made plain from the beginning. Yeah, central. And, you know, I think. Well, my initial thought was: this six years after the films of the Holocaust, yeah, the, mm. the the filmic revelation of the Holocaust. His father had been in the war, you know. The mother's an artist, yeah. So, kind of, how does it feel to be a Jew in America? Yeah, six years after the Holocaust. I mean, they must have had anxieties and troubles and relatives lost. And mm. yeah, like kind of, there's no hint of any possibility of of darkness. Now, maybe, you know, Spielberg's real parents hid it from the kids, you know, who'd want to traumatize them, right? Mm. You know, but you'd think a different filmmaker would have at least put that somewhere along the edges of that cozy suburban family in New Jersey, mm. right? Where this kind of no evidence of any of that in this, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nothing once, darkens this once they leave
0: Jersey elements of discomfort and ultimately anti-Semitism creep into the film so we don't see any of that in Jersey then they move to Arizona and all we get there is the mother at one point saying we're the only Jewish family here but we haven't seen it expressed anywhere else that that's a, a, a feeling of discomfort that she has she just says it in a line once we get to California then bullies at school pick on um, Sam the main character the Spielberg analogue for his Jewishness, mm. and it's explicit there, but it, it does it does feel like there's a missing element to that.
1: Well, I mean, I think he kind of whitewashes it a little bit. So, you know, in Jersey, you have like you know, it's a, it's a cozy Jewish suburban family, right? Mm. Uh, when they move to Arizona, it really becomes kind of multicultural, at least on the edges, right? The star of his film has an Italian name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of, you do see kind of people of different hues in the, yeah, mm-hmm. in the frame. You know, there is a sense of, you know, maybe they're just one different kind of group amongst many different kinds of groups. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that that was the sense I got. Mm-hmm. Right. And I did love, you know, that, uh, move into California. And what was the line he used? We're in the land of giant...
0: I feel like we've moved to the land of giant sequoia trees. Sequoia trees. Because everyone's (laughs) massive and Aryan. And Aryan, yes. And it's a
1: very specific look. So I love that, and I identified with that. I sometimes felt like that myself, you know, in parts of Canada. Um, (laughs) As a tiny little Spaniard. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so uh, I really identified with that moment. Though I also think the weakest moment in the film is the corridor scene after the screening of the film. It's an interesting scene.
0: So, um, obviously, by this point, we're going to be in spoiler territory. What's happened by this point is Sam has given up filmmaking because he's sort of been unhappy with his family and things like that. Um, but he takes it up again and is persuaded to make this uh, movie of Ditch Day, which is a day where all the kids go down to the beach at his, his new school. Um and he's put it together for prom and it's shown at prom and it goes down really well. And one thing that he's done in this film is he's taken one of his bullies, who is this like nine foot tall Aryan god, and he's shot him as that. So he was kind of topless on the beach playing volleyball and we see him as a hero. And the kid confronts him in this corridor after that screening... Upset by he doesn't he 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 says I want to know why you did this why did you do this I've been torturing you all year why were you nice to me and why are you showing me something that I'm not I don't believe I'm this everyone else believes I'm this now mm. and it's an interesting it's about the power of of imagery to manipulate you know like the, the the Sam character says I don't know why I did it maybe I did it to make my film better I don't know and he doesn't seem to have really wanted to hurt the kid mm. but there is definitely a feeling. Well, for me, there was a feeling of, like, the revenge of having been bullied by this kid is that I was able to lie about you to everyone, kind of. I was able to... Like, the power that I've had with my camera, with my editing, is to show you in a way that you weren't in control of. There's an element of that feeling of that.
1: Mm, I think there's also... Because he also says, maybe I just did it for my movie. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. it looks better and, you know, it gives it a narrative and so on. Um, so, which may be a kind of self-effacing um, kind of comment from Spielberg that
0: that he, if, is it a kind of like self-remission. It is just all about the image, about the spectacle, and I didn't think about things beneath it.
1: Is, is there a kind of except he thought enough to get revenge on the other guy, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, so and he doesn't show him in a good light at all, and he yeah, is
0: mocked mercilessly.
1: Yeah, I hate, I really didn't like that scene. It felt really phony to me.
0: I like uh, the end of it, but I agree with you. I think a lot of the... I mean, when when it got to the school in California, there is a feeling of phoniness and artifice to all of that.
1: I mean, there's some things about it that I liked. I like the way that the actor... I forget his name, who's brilliant, playing young Spielberg. Uh,
0: Gabriel Lebel
1: is yeah. the teenage Spielberg. He's wonderful. As soon as they move to LA, he seems to physically shrink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I thought that was kind of marvelous. Yeah. To kind of convey that visually. Cause, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's obviously uh, a choice. Um, I found it very moving. You know, it's kind of, and a, a, a difficult film to do because what you get pictured is a really loving family. Right. And people who really love each other and everybody trying to do the right thing. Right. And, you know, there's something that pulls you in a direction that you can't quite control. And at a certain point, it becomes about either, you know, you lose yourself or others, or you live your life. And it's nobody's fault, really. Mm. Yeah, because I think also Spielberg is careful to indicate that it's nobody's fault, that there hasn't been a transgression, that they haven't had sex, which I do not believe, you know. Uh, I don't. Um, This is is Mitzi,
0: the mother and the friend of the family. Benny, played by um, Seth Rogen. Rogen.
1: Who is? Who they're all marvellous. Actually, I thought Seth Rogen, in a weird way, is at his sexiest. (laughs) uh, Yes, you can. You know, again, I don't. He's never
0: truly been sexy, though.
1: Well, I've never thought so, but I find him sexy in this, and I don't know if it's because he's lost weight. Or because you're seeing him through her eyes. Mm. Yeah, because he's also kind of, he looks like an ordinary bloke, but kind of on the handsome side, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite masculine and nice, yeah? Um, you know. He's just and cut his
0: hair and he's well presented and he doesn't look like he smells of weed. He
1: we doesn't nice. look like a dork. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just looks like a nice guy who's actually kind of in love and up for it, yeah? Like. Mm. You know, there's something sexy about her, the way he moves and and so on. <laughs> well, it's important yeah, yeah. for the film to see why she, you know, why why she goes for him. And it's a combination of things. It's personal qualities, but also kind of, you know, the thing that he gives forth that Paul Dano doesn't is that sense of sexiness, of being up for it, of slight danger. Yeah, kind of. Mm. Um, so I thought, uh, you know, that was all a pleasure to see, though again, kind of maybe idealised. I mean, it must have been harder than that and more emotionally wrenching and, you know, kind of the interior struggles must have been much more difficult than they're made to seem in this film.
0: The whole film seems like a a very um, sandpapered sort of fantasy memory.
1: Yes, I think it's the way that he'd like to see his parents and one can't quite imagine things being so neat.
0: No, and I once he started making films, the 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 real young child Sam started making films. I started to get involved because I wasn't. I suppose actually, once they moved to Arizona and he starts making kind of films proper with new mates and and he's you know so he's making films from when he's a little kid and he gets the train set and we see that and that's really lovely. That I love experimentation that. with the train set and there's this image of the six year old. I think he might be six ish, um, Sammy. With his hands that's up in front beautiful. of him and projecting the image onto him, and it's like it's 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 a it's about you know, you're capturing it in your hands, but it, there's an image of prayer in there as well. Mm. It's like a religious thing, um, and I think that's an image that like everyone has kind of attached themselves to. Like that's mm. really that's, that's beautiful. It's very, it's, uh, very memorable. Um, but once once he's I guess sort of develops a bit of agency, and then cracks start to appear in the perfection of the family. That's when I started to get you know, I was checking my watch before then. I was going oh, I, wasn't I don't know confident. why I don't know why I'm sitting through this right now. But I did start to get involved. But it is kind of banalized. It feels like I, I wish it was a little bit harsher, a little bit more more
1: interesting. It's very much you know you know how families always tell stories about themselves and you know kind of it's it's always mythic and Fairy taleish. It's never. It's very rarely, mm. yeah, messy. It's it's always an idealized version mm. of how families like to see their history, mm. and I think this film is like that. Yeah, mm. it's kind of the stories the Spielbergs tell themselves about their families. Yeah, without wanting to know too much. Yeah, that kind of you know, maybe the uncle whatever wasn't the first guy that the mom had you know, run off with, right? Or, Mm. you know, the real pain that must have caused her to give up her career or relatives in Europe that kind of got killed or... Mm. The film has the potentiality to have both what it is but to let kind of darker things be discoverable on the edges, even if they're not highlighted. Mm. And I think the film doesn't do that. And I thought it was interesting because... You know, David Lynch was brought in at the end to do the cameo as John Ford. Mm-hmm. You know, his films are all about those darker yeah. elements that the conscious keeps a lid on. And that he, <laughs> you know, he pulls open the lid, right? And I thought it was also interesting because, you see, when they were going into the office with the meeting with the famous director, I thought it would have been Hitchcock, right? Yeah, because mm. uh, I think Spielberg went to work on the Universal lot, Right, And Hitchcock was the universal lot. I'm sure I've read about them meeting and so on. And, of course, Hitchcock is also full of darkness. But he also has that kind of wizardry with the camera and the cutting and the visuals that you see uh, in Spielberg and the spectacle. Right, And I thought it was interesting that in ch- instead of choosing Hitchcock, he chose John Ford. Mm. Right? Because, I mean, to me, John Ford is so much about darkness, yeah, Mm. and violence, and, I mean, and Irishness and bonhomie, I mean, it's not just, you know, but he doesn't shy away from the darker, Mm. yeah, edges, whereas, you know, sandpaper is a good term, because with Spielberg, it's all sandpapered away, it's like, you only get the the glowy understandable mm. humane bits yeah i mean i kind of
0: thought he would be hitchcock as well
1: yeah funnily enough i expect across hitchcock. the
0: hall but when it was revealed to be john ford it made sense to me because the film had been built around westerns so heavily well, who
1: shot liberty balance yeah yeah it was one of the films that is highlighted exactly yeah uh, and, and
0: then the films that he goes on to make the one in particular that we see is this western yeah yeah, um,
1: influenced by who Liberty Bounds
0: I, I like Lynch showing up as well just because I mean, he's, he's very very good but he's done this role at least once before he was in an episode of Louis mm. um, the uh, FX sort of sitcom sort of show by Louis CK where he plays the CBS kind of executive who is training Louis CK to be a talk show host to take over from David Lessman possibly and he's in it for like three episodes and he's a very similar sort of character he's sitting there barking instructions, you can't really read him, sort of thing. And here, you know, that's very much that and it's and it's all for comic effect and it's wonderful. And of course, there's this conversation in the film about art, um, throughout the film. I mean it's interesting that the parents, one is a scientist and one is an artist. And there's talk, I think, even in that in that dinner scene where the girlfriend's there, about art and science and one or the other. And it made me think of um the name of the, the Academy as Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences mm. is, but like film combines the both, mm. and we've seen that here. You know, f- film is film is art. Here, when he talks to um, his actor playing the the soldier who's kind of accidentally condemned his troops to death, he he manages to whip him up into the mood that he needs by speaking about it in 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 artistic ways. The story that he's telling, you know, and the, and the actor is surprised even mm. by by how effective it's been on himself. But also, there's this scientific side to it, the technical side to it, where he explains that the way he got uh, the muzzle flashes on the film was to literally poke holes in the celluloid so that light would shine through more brightly. That was wonderful. We see both of these things, and and we feel this. It's it's very interesting that the film is kind of it's 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 getting this, it's drawing this line
1: that connects the two in a way. Mm. Um, I found it very moving throughout, actually. I thought it was kind of loving and sweet and sad. So even though it didn't really plumb any depths, I really I really loved it, yeah? Um, and I was very entertained, and I thought it was very funny. And I thought, you know, that it was really great, you know, at, at depicting, like, a, a young man's passion for cinema, and how it almost got extinguished, right? And for all of these reasons that are kind of understandable and lovable in a way, yeah? Mm. Kind of, you know, having caught his mother having an affair by filming her, yeah, which kind of makes the whole thing kind of um, dangerous and unwise and possibly destructive, Mm. right? And then the move, you know, so how various... Family structures and obligations and so on almost like prevent him from doing what he really wants to do and following that path. I kind of found it very um lovely the, the um shooting yeah. his his mum
0: and um Benny in the background on that camping trip and then and then finding all that in the footage and realising what was going on is interesting because that is about film is truth. He discovers the truth mm. through watching what he's filmed. And then by the time you get to the end and he's made the film for prom, film is lies because he's able to manipulate it the way he wants to show things that aren't the truth.
1: Mm. You know? Yes. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. That is interesting. Though um, I think it was also telling well, interesting choices that are made. So when he, when when editing the film reveals his mother's passion, or affair, or love for Uncle for the Be- Seth Rogen Bene, character. Yeah, it's interesting that there's nothing lewd about it or sexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all kind of holding hands or in looks that are. Loving or desire- yeah, but they're not sexual. Mm. It's very interesting, I think, you know those choices uh that are made uh so you know the the revelation of a betrayal for the father is really because you love someone else, not or because the mother loves someone else also, yeah, it's never because there's been any kind of transgression or any wrongdoing right mm. it's all shown. Yeah, as a feeling. Yeah, I mean, they could have shown them, could have shown them with like his hand on his mother's breast or something, right? Like, yeah. Well, one of the first things that he notices in that
0: shot where the two of them walking off in the background into the woods is. Um, Benny putting his arm around Mitzi's waist, and she yes. moves it away. She moves yes. his hand away. So even though they're walking off together, and we see other shots in which they're sitting together or happy together and whatever, um, the the physical touch is rebuffed. Yes, and th- and it's not that she thinks she's being watched because they, they seem to have no idea they're being watched. Yes, so it's it's completely a personal thing between the two of them that still, yes. she's, he's, she's not to be touched. Yes, in that way.
1: Yes, which I don't quite buy.
0: I mean, right at the start you said this is pretty much a perfect film, close to perfect film. Yes. I don't feel like getting that impression from you that you <laughs> think it's a close to perfect film. You like it clearly and there's things that are very
1: interesting about it to you, but close to perfect? I did feel that because I thought that the film puts put me in a little bubble of understanding, mm. yeah, where what you're feeling is the love and affection and attempts to kind of keep things together i mean it's clear that the mother loves the father the father's crazy about the mother you know the mother also loves his uncle benny uncle benny loves the kids you know so is it
0: about how it transported you then that kind of it thing?
1: is i mean i kind of felt you feel the sadness because you know it's kind of unraveling yeah and it's, mm. yeah and it's unraveling simultaneously with the boy finding cinema and finding a calling and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting better and better at it, right? And that in itself is a source of delight to the mother. It's also delineating different kinds of relationships with the mother and the father, very different and both very loving, yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, And the working out of things, right? So I kind of... I suppose I don't mind that not, not every film has to plump the depths. <laughs> Though, I mean, even as I'm speaking, I'm thinking, well, it doesn't have to plump the I mean, it could maintain a tone, but like even in Lubitsch, as he's being delightful about everything, <laughs> you have suicides or attempted suicide. Yeah, like, mm. you can keep that feeling without negating the real complexities that kind of people undergo in situations like that. And I think that Spielberg does. So actually, I think the more I talk to you, The more of a niggle that is, Mm yeah, that you know that um, that it's so idealized, and actually that's so Spielberg, (laughs) yeah, right. But it is a
0: very pleasant place to be. It is watching it, and once I got invested in the film, which took a little time, like I say, I was with it too, and once the drama started developing the family, I I believed it, you know. I think that's kind of key. You do believe pretty much everything. You do. Maybe those school scenes once or twice. And
1: that's important, right? So even though I'm saying there there are complexities there that maybe aren't demonstrated, nonetheless, I was with the film the whole way and I did believe it and I kind of, you know, took pleasure in everything in it, really. And it didn't ring false to me at all until the high school... It's. And also the idea that um, Mitzi wasn't having to get away with Benny. Physically. Well, that didn't bother me. I mean, but so you don't believe you say? Um, I'm willing to go. I don't. <laughs> I. I don't believe it, but I'm willing to go with the film on that. You right, know? Yeah, like, kind of. You know, that wasn't like a. a, a it didn't take me out of the film mm. the way the corridor scenes in the high school did where you go, ugh. Yeah, sure. Right, like... Kind I mean, of... the thing
0: I really didn't believe about the corridor scene was the other bully, the little kind of shitty mm. bully, running off the way he does. It
1: was so cliché. I think it's
0: because he's got such a long way to run down that corridor before he gets to the door. You think, why are you running this whole way?
1: Well, actually, I thought, <laughs> I thought the coming, the situation, and the going yeah. was just such a cliché. Like, you expected it. Mm. And uh, and actually, you expect it to be better than it was. Yeah, you didn't I'd expect yeah. it to be such a cliché. I agree. So I thought all of those scenes were a bit too much. It's like... So, you see, the more I'm talking about the film, the, 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 the more problems I'm coming with. So, for example, the scenes with the Christian girl, they're funny and they're sweet, mm. yeah, and I like them, and they play well. But it's almost like, you know... Spielberg is trying too hard to reconcile differences and to be inclusive and to love everybody, right? And you can't deal with the question of racial discrimination and kind of love everybody. Like, someone has to be yeah, in the wrong. There has to be a problem, mm. right? And I think what he tries to do is he makes the Christian girl completely lovable, even though... You know, she thinks he killed Christ, right? <laughs> well, yeah, all, all the Christian kids.
0: Well, the one Christian kid... Uh, he, uh, Personally. The, the shitty little bully is the one who accuses him of that. But you think... Well, one I thought was actually... Like, she, She, I think, she's just got the hops for him, right? And it's great. Sure. But when they're at dinner and she says, Oh, my dad's got this very expensive camera and he'll rent you this thing. He's going, if you're that Christian... You didn't get it from nowhere. The parents must be as well. And is the dad going to be all right with this Jewish kid? That's I,
1: exactly. You know? <laughs> I mean,
0: but we never know. get as far as meeting the dad. Um,
1: so so, and of course, you can't be one of the most successful mass industry entertainers, like you know, of the last fifty years, and exclude people, right? Like so, you know, this attempt at being inclusive and kind of having a place for everybody and, you know, we're all the same and all that. I get it. But Mm. I think he's trying too hard with it, really.
0: Yeah. The main issue I have with the film is that I just don't really care about people's love letters. Like, love letters are personal. Write a letter to your family. You know what? Well, I guess his parents are dead. I know. But I, I don't care. And the thing about love letters to cinema, we're seeing a few of these. Re- I wish we have seeing a few of these this week. So we've seen Babylon, which I didn't think of as a love letter to cinema until the end, when it yeah, becomes it clear that there's yeah. this kind of "I love movies, the magic of the movies" thing going on that Damien Chazelle is trying to convince you of, at least. Obviously, this is has been very clear from its conception, and its conception began in like 1999. It's mm-hmm. been a long time coming, The Fabelmans, and then tomorrow we're seeing Empire of Light, which is going to have that thing going on as well. All the adverts have been about the magic of the movie.
1: Well, we don't know that. We
0: haven't seen it, but... But it's at least been sold as such. sure. And and it
1: feels... um, Like the death knell of cinema. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Exactly. There's there's something very defiant about it, that these films are coming out now, kind of after COVID, which really hurts uh, theatrical distribution, of course, because people couldn't go to the cinema for fucking ages. And after streaming's been been the main way people have been consuming media for a long time now, for several years now. Um, it does feel like there's this defiance of it, like like this, you know, I insist upon the cinema, and the fact that these films, I haven't seen The Empire of Light yet, the fact that these two films have not really convinced me of it, they've just insisted on it. Actually, the film I think I've seen recently, that is the best expression of love of the movies and love of theatrical distribution, love of the cinema is Avatar too. That was different in the cinema than you will see anywhere else. Yeah.
1: True. You know, and it
0: was about that and it, and of course at no point was it saying come to see the movies.
1: Though <laughs> I don't mean. know, I think there are elements of that in this in this film as well. You know, that incredible shot of the audience where they when they go see the greatest show on earth and you have the thousands of people in the cinema and then it kind of it settles on the Fablemans. I thought, you know, I found it actually a, quite sterile that shot because oh, even though you're even though you're seeing a full cinema of people, they're
0: people just sat expressionless watching. A that's screen. Not, no, well,
1: uh, I mean, in that shot, yes, yes, because you want, I mean, what's what's on display is the audience itself, the size of the theater, mm. yeah, the hugeness of it, the the glamour, yeah, the mm. you know, it's such a grandiose place. And then, of course, as the scene unfolds, you have the audience participating in chuckling. Yeah. yeah, but actually, what um,
0: what expresses that better for me is the films that Sam makes and shows in like I town love, halls or, love or the school too. or whatever, and and the audience's responses there. Because not only is it audience responses, but it's it's the people responding to like their mates on screen, and obviously yeah. the parents are looking at, at the film that their son has made, and. That actually reminded me of when I was making little films at university. Mm. And we would show them at, at like these little screens that we put together. And they occasionally went down really well. Mm. And that was pretty great, you know. And that feeling of, of being the guy stood behind the projector, watching everyone else watching your film mm. and appreciating it, is really special if it, you know, if it works.
1: Sure. <laughs> I mean, actually, I loved all of those scenes, right? And this is, in a way where, you know, the California scenes play less well to me because, obviously, to be a film director, you've got to be super socially skilled, right? And you see that in all of the scenes until he gets to California, right? Because, you know... He's got, at one point he says, Mom, we've got 40 kids coming over tomorrow, right? And you could see what each kid is contributing to the film. But it's his film. They're doing it for him. Mm. So he must somehow make them all want to contribute to his thing. Yeah. Right? So then this feeling of being kind of all alone, little victim of discrimination. Yeah, like kind of, you know, yeah. I think the person you've gotten to know up to that point would have found ways around that. Which actually, I suppose he does by the end. But it's interesting. But I think he, he, it's also—I
0: think that's mitigated by the fact that that really seems to be the first time he's encountered that kind of thing.
1: True. Um, but then it's almost the first time that he looked—he's made to seem like a schnook. <laughs> yeah the little jewish guy who's got to be funny to get out of a situation whereas you know you've just seen him as almost like a master of industry directing 40 people and getting them all to do what he wants which is partly the conversation he's had with his father yeah right like you know i do what you do in order to get this shot i've got to get these departments you know mm-hmm. right, to work together to do this right so so I suppose that's one of the reasons why those scenes just feel so...
0: I suppose we've seen kind of picking up that though and learning that, because when he's first bullied um, by those kids, or it's not his first bully, but when um, when they, they kind of surround him in the playground and that's when he's first accused of being a Christ killer, I think. Mm. He's seen the tall one um, making out with this other girl, mm. and he reveals that to the girlfriend. So he's at first been just meek about it. He's been bullied by these new kids who don't like him. And very quickly, he is taking the fight to the. Yeah, a so it becomes bit. a political
1: animal. It's true, you know. um, and and I suppose very quickly becomes a social one as well. So, so you do see that developing in California as well. But to me, it just felt off in relation to what you've you'd seen before. Um, in a way, we haven't seen him have to be that resourceful before because he
0: hasn't had to struggle to make his films. He hasn't no. had to work hard to kind of root around for the money or anything. No. Things are, he's hes very well catered for financially. I mean,
1: the film is very cozy in all those ways. So really, by American standards, he's an upper middle class kid, right? His, you know, his father is depicted as a kind of a genius who works for the very big companies of that period, mm. General Electric and RCA, right and ibm uh, and he gets cameras bought for him and answering equipment and money for film which you know kind of the film minimizes right but uh i think what what does he pay twelve dollars for three rolls of film uh i don't know Can't okay what's well, significant right because in 1962 a working person's average weekly wage you yeah. know might have been i don't know like a hundred dollars or something, yeah. right? Was so, it yeah,
0: to Like something like twenty dollars for film, and eighty dollars to rent a machine, something like that. Yeah. And the mean, dad says that's a hundred bucks on a hobby, so it is a lot of money,
1: and it is a lot of money. And kind of, he, he gets all of that paid for. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have to have a part-time job or, you know, put it on his credit card. Yeah. You know, like so. <laughs> well, yeah. Like the
0: problems that the family has are are
1: not financial problems,
0: but I think the film is kind of understanding of of the parents' problems individually. Like the, the mother is this caged animal. The film makes it fairly explicit with the whole monkey thing and the cage that we see in shots. Yes. Um that she kind of you know, identifies with and is her pet. And the dad is obviously the breadwinner, um, and he's the genius who's making this money and so on. But um he seems to kind of struggle for for a for a degree of purpose in his family. Like, that is his purpose. And he's always... He's an interesting character because he's, he's always doing this kind of explaining thing. He's always trying to teach the kid things. Right from the start, it's all technical stuff. Mm. You know, I mean, the first lines of dialogue in the film are explaining how film works. It's that whole 24 frames a second, and mm. then it's illusion on the screen, and then it's magic. Um, but he does that um, multiple times with kind of technical things. And that's his bailiwick. That's what he knows how to do. He's a technical scientific person. Mm. And as the film develops, he starts to try and speak to his son about purpose, about the future, about, you know, and, and he's particularly kind of... Um, he's always supportive of his son, but he's a little bit um, dismissive of film. He keeps calling it a hobby, and he doesn't see it as as a future. Hmm. Um, but still, there is, there, is, there is something in that character that's about his... He's searching for a way to connect to his family or be useful to his family in a way that is more than just about money and where they live.
1: I mean, he's clearly in love with his wife, yeah, which must have been a bigger heartache than we get to see. Mm. Uh, he's clearly loves all his children and that must be more of a heartbreak than we're allowed to see mm. in this film. I did love the moment where... The kid's living with his dad and has an anxiety attack, right? Like, Mm. you see the father taking care of him and and knowing how to take care of him, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Which I thought was really lovely, yeah. Though I did wonder, in the film, the letter from the studio, had he kept it hidden until that moment? Yeah. Well, it seemed to just
0: be the post from today, but that's a good point, actually. We don't see if he's, like, slipped it in with the post, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, because because he he gives him the post, and then... After he has this breakdown, yeah. he says, oh, you've forgotten this one. or have, have you looked at this one? I, I get the feeling, I don't know, I'd have to watch the scene again. It would be nice if that was how the scene yeah. was,
0: was constructed. I get the feeling it's just that letter happened to show up in the mail that day and the dad has noticed it. But it would be nice if he's kept it f- to be able to provide it for his son. Yeah, well, I... I but, we, but I don't think it's shown like that, so we not Well, get
1: I, to... I, I i thought that, okay. it, yeah, because it comes later, mm-hmm. right? And he'd already given him all the posts. Yeah. Right. So you know, so it, it kind of gave me the impression that maybe he had been holding that back, mm. right? Because he hopes his son would go to university and mm. yeah, have a proper career and not you know, oh right, see, not, so he, not become. So he was going to
0: withhold the letter because he didn't want him to read it at all. Yeah, and then he decides to give it to him. Yeah, oh, that's because I was I was I was taking your implication as he keeps it back so that he can be the do the nice thing for his son and no, 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 show.
1: No, no. Yeah, I think he, no, because the whole discussion is about going to university and to promise to try his best. And and then, of course, you know, you don't want kind of your kid to be like the uncle who puts his head on inside lion's <laughs> mouth, right? Yeah, you don't want him to have that kind of mm. career, yeah? Because that is also kind of woven into the film. And Judd Hirsch is marvellous in that role, by the way. Uh, as I tuned out in that scene. Oh, I love. it. I mean, Judd
0: Hirsch at one point, says you, shh, you talk too much when when the, they they hear the mum playing piano you talk too much, and then and then he just talks for fucking ages. I lost interest. Well,
1: test. no, I loved it. I, I did, and actually, I thought that was an essential kind of element, really, because mm-hmm. you see another generation, and this is what I mean by the little touches that I find missing in the film. But actually, the Judd Hirsch is an example of how they could have been there. Mm-hmm. He comes to mourn his sister. Yeah, he's much more um, observant of the customs than the generation after. Yes, you know, Mm. lie on the floor, do shiva. I think he says or something.
0: Yeah, and tear his clothing.
1: Yeah, he's got more of an accent. Yeah, than any of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you you see the old world in yeah, Mm -hmm. and then you also think, well, you know, what makes this kid who, you know, the impression is that he probably emigrated as a kid old enough to have an accent yeah, yeah yeah uh then leave that kind of family for to join the circus yeah yeah just an example of how one little thing can have all these resonances or mm. can open up interesting complexities and so on right yeah things that spielberg could have without making the film about that could have just put there yeah mm. so for anyone who wanted to kind of explore further would might find those things worth kind of speculating on or thinking about. And I think they're largely not there, though they are I find in that Judd Hirsch moment. Mm.
0: So, overall um, the film is a fable including the title and I don't think I'm interested in watching it twice.
1: I don't know, I loved it. And actually, I think I would I mean, I love the look of it yeah it has that kind of early Kodachrome, browns and yellows and reds and blues you know you associate with the with the period uh I think the cinematography is excellent it's full of fascinating shots you know not the least of the kids in the in the kids films right um i I love Michelle williams' performance in it you know I think she's wonderful um she's wonderful about kind of conveying love and different kinds of of love and affection and like it's so interesting because it's like the whole performance is almost full of loving looks right like there's very little anger or shame or guilt or screaming like you know there's one moment yeah Mm. and all the rest is just different kinds of you know loving looks (laughs) yeah I think she's like uh, you know the Sarah Bernhardt of Loving looks, Mm. I I loved her performance in it. She's Uh, never
0: done it for me. I don't get what people see in her, really. I don't hate her as all. I just I don't connect with her that much, really.
1: So the thing is, I love this movie, right? Even though I think for the last hour I've been talking about all the things that I (laughs) got a problem with it. Yeah, but I still love it, and actually, kind of, uh, I want to think about why the experience of watching it was so kind of moving and lovely and, you know, to me. Mm.
0: Yeah, okay, what do you think about that? (laughs) All right,
1: well, on that note, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on
0: Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. dot com. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.